Smarties, we are so excited to welcome back Natasha Daniels. She first was on our podcast only a few weeks ago in episode 251. And today we welcome her back to discuss how OCD and anxiety impact learning in school. She shares how OCD can be missed in school or misinterpreted as a learning disorder and shares what teachers need to know about OCD. She further discusses what teachers can look out for in their classrooms. And she shares what the impact of reassurance is on anxiety versus OCD. That was a really interesting conversation. Natasha also shares the unique benefits of a 504 and how to sort of use a 504 to figure out what works best for your learner and what accommodations would work best for your learner. And that was a fabulous conversation that in the 255 prior episodes ever had specifically about how to effectively use a 504 for anxiety or OCD. If you have not listened to part one of our conversation with Natasha, go back. We've put it in the show notes of this episode. And that episode was 251, Understanding OCD and Anxiety. And we are so excited for you to hear that conversation and this forthcoming conversation as well. If you are interested in working with our practices, go ahead and sign up for a phone call on our websites. My website is www.capedtherapy.com. That's CAP with a K. A CAP Educational Therapy Group in Beverly Hills, California, and virtually everywhere. We specialize in learners with ADHD and executive functioning skills challenges. Or you can sign up for a phone call on Steph's website, www.myedtherapist.com. Steph and her team see clients in Redondo Beach, California, and Manhattan Beach, California, and virtually everywhere. So go ahead and sign up for phone calls on our website. Let's dig in. You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer. You have to learn smarter. The Educational Therapy Podcast. Hi, Smarties. Welcome to episode 256 of Learn Smarter, the Educational Therapy Podcast. I'm Stephanie Pitts. And I'm Rachel Cap. And today we are excited to have back part two with OCD and anxiety specialist, Natasha Daniels. Thanks for coming on, Natasha. Yeah, thanks for having me. So this is part two. If you haven't listened to part one, it's episode 251. And we talk a lot about anxiety and OCD and the differences and what to look out for as a parent. And this episode, we really wanted to talk about how OCD and anxiety impact learning. I think that is a major theme. Definitely, we both see in our practices, we know a lot of kids that are struggling with it. So what do you see? How does it show up? The anxiety one is probably more obvious, and that's probably your area of expertise. Mm -hmm. I would say even more than mine, you know, for sure. We'll touch on anxiety first, and then we'll spend more time on OCD because I think that's the one that is more of an anomaly. Mm -hmm. Anxiety can show up in so many different ways. You know, if, if a child's like distracted and they're thinking about their anxious thoughts during school, so we just talk about something, a different theme, especially separation anxiety or emetophobia, the fear of throw up. You're just consumed with that fear. And so they're not focusing on the teacher. They're not focusing on the the work in front of them. And so that can be a really big issue. I'm worried about whether I'm safe or I'm worried that something bad will happen. And so those are elements. Uh, social anxiety can definitely impact the school environment too, because I'm so consumed with how I look. Are you judging me? What if they call on me? Uh, and I totally relate to that. Being a child who had social anxiety, I was so worried about being called on, I never was paying attention. Like, look at the body language of the teacher. Is she about to call on me? Are we going to have to read in class? Are we going to have to take turns? Like, my thoughts were not in the present moment. And so that definitely can impact. Then you have kids that I'm sure you deal with all the time with like test anxiety or distraction, you know, where elements of the classroom are distracting them. 
because even anxious kids who don't have ADHD, you know, they really tune into their, they're so clued into everyone around them that that can be an issue as well. I mean, that's just a little snapshot of anxiety. OCD is different because OCD themes, they go in the school backpack and they come with the child to the school. And it's not obvious. I think it's not obvious with anxious kids either, because these are often people pleasers and they're missed in the school environment. OCD is even more missed because they might be consumed with a contamination in the school environment. And so they're tracking people, watching what people are touching or doing. They might have just write OCD. We talked about that in the last episode that you had me on, you know, where they're having to write and rewrite or read and reread. And that actually even happened to my son where he just was like not reading. It's funny because like the counselor called me from the school and was like, we want to test him for gifted. And I'm like, it's so funny that you're calling me because I have you on my to-do list to call you to test him for like some cognitive delays or like some processing issue. It was, we're having like two completely Mm. different conversations. And she's like, well, his teachers are thinking he's gifted and they want him tested. And I'm like, and I'm thinking he has some delays because he can't read. And it's embarrassing because she said to me, well, have you thought, could it possibly be OCD? And I hadn't even thought of that because you're so close to the problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he's such a smart kid. And so working with him and really talking about it, getting to the core of why he can't read, it was, I have to read and reread because I feel like maybe I missed a word or maybe I didn't fully understand that word. I'm like not feeling complete enough. So I have to keep reading it over and over. That actually can get mislabeled as a learning disorder. I mean, luckily I had a counselor who was actually, you know, savvy and caught that, you know, because we could have gone down a really deep black hole on that one. So that's one area you have kids who have moral or scrupulosity OCD themes that we talked about in the last episode that I was on as well. And those kids think that they could be bad. And so you have kids who are telling on themselves, you know, I think I cheated. Who threw that ball at someone's head? I think I did. You know, I've had kids get in really big trouble for cheating or aggression for volunteering that they did something that they did not do because they thought they may have, you know, because OCD is much more about doubt and uncertainty. Um, so it can show up in really, really weird ways that we wouldn't even think about. Hmm. And what about like contamination OCD that is with like a person, like another person is contaminated rather than the actual thing. And then that person infects things around the classroom or at recess or things like that. And they don't want to play or they don't want to do anything like that. That's a thing as well, right? call that emotional contamination where a person or a place is contaminated. And that can be driven by lots of different core fears. I've worked with tons of kids where they would see a child that maybe triggers their moral OCD. Like that child, they've got dyed hair or they are a quote unquote bad kid. And so that behavior can be contagious. And so anything they do or anything they touch is contaminated. You can have kids who like, I just never saw him wash his hands. He didn't wash his hands when he went to the bathroom. And so he's like ground zero for contamination. And so anything that person touches or or does is contaminate as well. Anything can be a contaminant, including people. And that's the, really the hardest one too. So let's say you're a classroom teacher. What could you possibly be seeing in the classroom? Because, you know, teachers aren't trained on every sort of disorder And our brains go to learning, right? Like it's learning issues. So what can teachers look out for? You know, a lot of times they're going to miss this stuff. And so 
in a perfect world, I tell parents to notify the teacher. I feel like it's really important for us as parents to educate the teacher or us as therapists to educate the teacher on this is the theme they have. But parents are not always educated, so they don't know. So teachers can look for that rigidity in behavior or that child keeps coming up and confessing to me, or that child is having this really strong reaction when they are next to that one particular person, or I'm noticing they're not able to get their work done because they're racing and erasing their stuff, or they're getting stuck, or even the content of the questions they're asking the teacher can be OCD type of questions, whether it's reassurance seeking, or it's confession behavior, or it's trying to get away from something or someone that's a contaminant. Those could all be concerns. You know, it's helpful when a teacher brings that to a parent's attention to say, I'm noticing these things because it may be stuff the parent's not noticing. Yeah, the kid that needs to sharpen the pencil just so. Mm-hmm. I remember that in the classroom, constant in the middle of assignments, just needing to resharpen the pencil. It was hard to get anything done. Yeah. Because the pencil wasn't the right sharpness, it didn't feel right. Right. And it can be treated like a behavioral issue. Like you are disrupting the class and you're being annoying. And when it's a compulsion, there's no stopping it. It's such a strong drive. So interesting. There's so many different ways that it can show up. The thing I think that's important to note is the difference between the anxiety and the OCD that you've talked about. Reassurance works with anxiety and reassurance with OCD feeds it, makes it grow. Yeah. And even with reassurance with anxiety, we want to give high quality reassurance. (laughs) And so there's like effective reassurance, which I don't think I would label as reassurance. It would be like empowering, problem solving, because there are issues with reassurance on both ends. Reassurance with OCD looks different. It doesn't satisfy OCD. It grows OCD. So there's that. We talked about that in the other episode, but reassurance with anxiety can also grow anxiety if it's not done in in an effective way. And so um, you're not going to throw up, you know, I promise you, you're not going to throw up. That's not helpful. It can sound helpful, but it's not helpful because one, you don't know if they're not going to throw up. And two, we want our kids to lean into discomfort and uncertainty and accept that. And so telling our kids, you know, you're fine, you're fine, you're going to be fine. Instead of building up their skills of what can you tell yourself and having them feel empowered is also really important. So in that example, what's the proper language? Instead of you're not going to throw up, you're fine. Is it, let's talk about what would happen if you felt like you needed to throw up? If they have like an ongoing fear of throwing up, having them understand what a metaphobia, the fear of throw up is and how it shows up and how it's going to want you to avoid all sorts of environments and situations where you might see or throw up. And then getting them to accept that you may or may not throw up. Like that's actually the key of emetophobia is getting them to accept that you may or may not throw up and getting to the core fear. Because the core fear is actually different for each kid. My daughter has emetophobia and she's afraid of throwing up in front of people because she has social anxiety. So it's more driven by the embarrassment, loss of control, where I have other people who are just as afraid of throwing up at home as they are in public because they feel like they may never stop or it's going to hurt or, you know, so even addressing that core fear is important and then getting them to realize that no matter what, They'll be able to handle that. And so with my daughter, because it was the fear of embarrassment, it was reframing her thoughts, even though it can have a flavor of OCD, reframing her thoughts of if somebody judges you because you throw up, are they a good friend? You know, I'm not spoon feeding. I'm not saying they aren't a good friend. I want her to think about it. You know, no, I guess not. You know, if your friend threw up, would you think they're a horrible person? No, no, I wouldn't. So getting them to reframe their thoughts 
And then it's the daily thing because the compulsive part of it is checking, you know, oh, I feel like I'm going to throw up mom, you know, maybe check my head or tell me I'm going to be okay. And so with my daughter, she stopped asking because once you know you're a component of it and you respond in an effective way, they eventually stop needing that reassurance. But I would say, she said, I'm feeling sick. I'm like, what do you think you need to tell yourself? Well, I may or may not throw up, right? I'm like, that's right. You may or may not throw up and will happen. Well, either way, I'll be able to handle it. And we did come up with a problem-solving approach as well with this of if you throw up at school or if you feel nauseous at school, what's the plan? I'll go to the nurse. I've talked to the nurse. The nurse knows that she has fear of throwing up and not to call me and that she can lay there for a little while and then get her back to class. You know, And so you do come up with like a really good, like she has a 504 plan. So we actually had to create accommodations that are built into her educational plan so that it's formalized that they will do that. Then there becomes school avoidance mm-hmm. and knowing that they can have a safe spot at school is so important. And I think that a lot of people don't know that that can actually be worked into a 504 plan, that there's health things for 504 plans. It's not just learning disabilities and things of that nature. So I love that you shared that because that's definitely a big theme for a lot of kids about throwing up. And I don't blame them. (laughs) This is so informative about what to really look for and what might look like something else, but it's not that at all. That's the tricky part about OCD. Yeah, it's really tricky. Is there anything else that you want to share about what you've noticed about OCD and learning? You know, a lot of times it can be misdiagnosed also as a focusing issue. You know, ADHD, a lot of kids do have comorbid conditions where they have multiple diagnoses. But a lot of times when you ask a child, you know, I know you're not focusing on that task or you feel like you say you're distracted. What are you thinking about at those times? And a child who has ADHD or is not focusing might say, you know, Uh, you know, I have this story about dragons that I'm writing in my head, you know, or I imagine that. And then I think about, I'm going to go home and play my Xbox and, you know, it's all like just content, you know, it's like, and then the person had blue shorts over and I thought those were interesting color. It's content. It's just neutral content. But when you ask a child, whether it's anxiety or OCD, it's anxious content or it's intrusive thought content. And so it might be, I was thinking maybe I wasn't paying attention to my teacher and that maybe I didn't get everything she said. And that maybe I'm not a good student because I'm not focusing and I need to focus, but I'm not focusing. And what if I don't focus? Then I'm a bad person. If I'm a bad person, then I'm not going to go to college. And so they're actually like, their core fear is about focus. It's confusing because it's not, it's subtle. Yeah. I just feel like that opened my eyes quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So thank you for that. Yeah. Tell us about a 504. Like you had said, a lot of parents don't think that they can ask for a 504. I forgot what they call it in Canada, but there are like, there's different names for it in different countries, but um, some countries don't have anything, but getting formalized accommodations, a lot of times parents don't realize they can get that for anxiety or OCD. And in fact, it's really common. Getting an IEP for just anxiety or OCD is very, very hard, but getting a 504, which is like a lower level, you know, accommodations that's more informal is almost important to do if it's showing up in your child's school environment on any level. I rather have it there, even if my child doesn't need it then not have it and then be lost when they need it all of a sudden. And so things that you can get in a 504 plan for anxiety or OCD are random things, you know, like you think, and I wouldn't depend on the school to provide that. A lot of times parents are like, well, I'm going to advocate for a 504 plan. And then they don't know what to put in it. It's like, well, no, they're not going to know. So partner with a therapist if you have one. And if you don't just say, how is this impeding their learning? I think a lot of times parents don't think of it in that way. They think, 
these are the issues that are happening at home, but they're not really making the bridge of how is this impacting my child in the learning environment. And so I'll just use my daughter's 504 as an example. She fidgets a lot. She's a picker, you know, body focused, repetitive behaviors, BFRBs are comorbid conditions to anxiety or CD, and they're different. And one of the key tools that we use is blocking. So she needs to keep her hands busy. So she's not picking. And so if you get out a little squish ball or whatever, some classes and teachers and schools are not going to allow that. It's in her 504. As long as it's not distracting and she can, you know, get it under her table, that's fine. She has metaphobia. So she doesn't eat in the morning a lot of times. In the past, we've come a long way. She doesn't really use a lot of these accommodations, but she ends up being starving by like 10 o'clock in the morning because she didn't eat because she was so anxious to go to school. And so she has in her 504 that she can have a snack and she can have a snack whenever she wants. She can test separate from the class. That's a common one because she gets worried that everyone is like beating her and they're going faster. And so she doesn't have to take tests inside the classroom. It doesn't mean that she uses that, but it's there for her and she doesn't have time tests. They are giving her time tests, but I tell her, you know, you don't have to, you can say, I don't want that. And you can advocate. And so I think sometimes accommodations might be giving into the anxiety OCD at first. Like I've had kids where things are contaminated and so they don't want to share the pencils or they don't want to take the scissors that everyone else is going to have. And they will literally not go to school if that happens. And so even though we talk about pulling back accommodations, the first priority is getting them into school. And so if we can make a temporary accommodation that says, look, Johnny's got his own set of scissors and pencils and no one's allowed to touch them. That is okay while you work for it. Or even if someone is contaminated, I've had kids in high school where a person is contaminated and they would rather not go to school at all. They're not going to graduate. And so they might accommodate by moving their schedule and saying, okay, you're not going to be in any classes with this person for right now while we work on it. And so um, out of the box, I think is really important. I love that. Me too. I don't think we've ever had that conversation on the podcast about how to use the 504 in that way to actually be really, really supportive. And also it's okay if the learner isn't using that accommodation that you have laid out if they don't need it at the moment, but we like that it's there. It's the backup. Yeah. It's fantastic. Natasha, I can't thank you so much. You've gifted us so much of your time over the course of these two episodes. And I know these episodes are really going to resonate. They've resonated with us and I know they're going to resonate with our audience. So thank you again for taking the time to share your expertise with us. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Have a great week, Smarties. Have a great week. <laughs> 